Mark chapter 6. We're going to finish up Mark chapter 6. Today, familiar portion of scripture. I didn't notice at the first service, but um, thank you, Andrew, for the theme. Maybe you weren't thinking about it, but the theme backdrop for the words, the ocean, the storm. Thank you, Lord, for the <laughs> theme background outside, the white caps, the wind blowing. Our text begins in chapter 6 of Mark and verse 45. And there we have that familiar word, familiar to Mark's gospel account. 42 times we see this word immediately. He, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, and he was alone on the land, then he saw them, that is the twelve, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed. Note note the words in this verse. I think it's interesting. They were greatly amazed. The word literally means to be out of your wits or to be insane in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Uh, That Greek word that's used there, it literally means to render stupid or callous. So they did not understand about the loaves. What did they not understand? That Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. That Jesus is the I am. And then our text goes on. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he entered into a village, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us understanding as we look at this text. Again, familiar portion of scripture for probably... All of us, most of us, but Lord, we pray, recognizing that your word is alive, and so we could always glean new insight, new understanding, further application, and we pray that you would help us to do that this morning. We thank you in advance. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I noticed as you look at the text is that Jesus made his disciples leave. The word used there for made, it literally means to uh, to 
um, strongly urge. So he's saying, you need to go. It's time to go. Get in the boat. Go. And you need to wonder why there was a sense of urgency, why he was sending them away. And of course, we have the benefit in our Bibles of not just the Gospel of Mark, but we have the benefit of the other two Gospel writers who tell us about this specific account, and that would be Matthew and John. And so John gives us some insight on why Jesus might have wanted to send them away quickly, because John tells us that after Jesus had fed the 5,000, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, again, multiplying the fish and the loaves, that the people wanted to quote, this is from John chapter 6, verse 15, they wanted to take him by force and make him king. And so perhaps that's why Jesus was in a hurry to send them away so that the 12 would not get caught up in all of this. Remember, folks, that the disciples were learning about Jesus as they're going. They did not have a full understanding. In fact, they didn't understand the death on the cross. They didn't understand any of these things until it happened. Once it happened, then they were able to say, oh, you know, the light bulb was going off for them. But they didn't understand these things. They were learning these things as they were with Jesus. And so perhaps that's why he was in a hurry to send them away. He sends them away. He goes up. He sends the multitude away. He goes up on a mountain, and he begins to pray. This is another reference to Jesus praying. I think that should amaze us as his children, as followers of Jesus, how often Jesus would pray. You say, well, why would he need to? <laughs> he counted that fellowship, that, that time with the Father as something very, very important. You know, guys, I think that every day that the disciples were with Jesus, they were learning something new. And I suggest that every day that we walk with Jesus, we should be learning something new. Now, I make that statement, and for some, for many, you might be thinking, how in the world can I learn something new? And the way we learn something new is by being students of the word, by being in the word of God. As we're reading the word of God, studying the word of God, seeking to apply the word of God to our life, and then living our lives, the Lord is so faithful to teach us something new each and every day. Something. It could be the smallest thing, but he's teaching us something. Now, we're there in Mark, but I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 14, because Matthew tells us something that, that Mark and John did not tell us. And, of course, you guys, I'm sure you're familiar with this. I think everyone's familiar with this account. But we're going to read it anyway. Beginning in verse 28, Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. It says, And Peter answered him. So this is right after Jesus said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. It says, now, and Jesus answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, remember they thought it was a ghost. If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. 
And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those in the boat, it says, those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So they're having this revelation. Okay, well, uh, earlier today, there was the, the, um, the food miracle. We never saw a food miracle before. We were kind of getting used to the healing miracles and the cleansing of lepers miracles and, and you know, these types of things. But we've never, we've never seen a, a food miracle. So this was a good day. We saw a food miracle. And then they just witnessed an aquatic miracle. So we never saw an aquatic miracle before. You know, Peter walking, one of us walking on the water. That's really impressive. This, this has been an interesting day. And, of course, you know, there's no doubt that they would worship him. But I think it's important to note that they have this revelation, and the revelation is that they know that he is the Son of God. They might have been dull. uh, They might have been hard-hearted when it came to understanding that Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven when he multiplied the fish and everything. But now they're starting to get it. Things are starting to come together for them. Now, I want to... I want to remind you of something, and I think it's, it's interesting. I want to remind you that Mark, so now we're back in Mark there, that John Mark, that was his name, John Mark. Uh, John Mark was not one of the 12. You guys are aware of that. We have the list, we have the names of the 12. John Mark was not one of them. Um, John Mark was most likely not on the boat when these things happened. So you say, well, how would he know about it? Because Peter was his source. Peter was the one who filled in the blanks for Mark. When Mark wasn't there, Mark didn't have an understanding or a clear picture of what was happening. Then Peter, much later, of course, because the Gospels were not being written as they were happening, but they were written much later in in time, that Peter would have said, no, this took place and that happened, and we said this, and the Lord did that. And so he's kind of filling in the blanks. So I think it's interesting to note that that. John Mark, he wasn't there, but Peter was there. But John Mark doesn't tell us that Jesus walked, or that Peter walked upon the water. Matthew tells us that Jesus walked upon the water. Don't you think that's interesting? And you wonder why. And of course, we don't know because the scripture is silent on this issue, and so we don't know for sure. Perhaps Peter said, you know, uh, Mark, I would rather leave that out. You know, I'd rather not talk about that. And, and I, I don't think if he said that, if he said such a thing, let's keep that out of your gospel account. Um, I don't think it would be because he was humiliated, because he began to sink. Because, hey, how many men could say they walked on water? It doesn't matter if it was just a few steps. He's the only guy who did it. And so, you know, good for him. Thumbs up for him. Maybe it was because he didn't want the focus to be on him. He didn't want, you know, to kind of be prideful and oh yes and then there was yeah that time that I walked upon the water and and this is what I was thinking as I was doing it and and so on and so forth so it maybe it was deleted from Mark's account simply because Peter was learning and growing humility and just didn't want to touch on it now 
I want us to think, and, and of course, all of the things that I'm going to share with you right now are things that you've heard many, many times before. I've taught these things before. So if you've been here uh, for a matter of time, you know, you know that I've taught this text or Matthew's account or John's account of this particular event that took place. And you know that I always go and we look at Peter and we discuss Peter and, and what he might have been thinking and everything, and it's all speculation. And then I draw a conclusion and give application to the text. So I'm going to do that now, um, but I'm not going to end there. I wonder if, if Peter, when he was, remember, he wasn't just walking on the water. He wasn't just walking around. Uh, the scripture says that he was walking to go to Jesus. So it's very specific. He's walking to Jesus. And I would imagine that as he stepped out of the boat, that Peter is looking intently at Jesus because he knows something. See, he's learning. He's no dummy. He knows that he would not be doing what he's doing if Jesus was not there and if Jesus had not commanded him to come out of the boat. And so I picture Peter having his eyes just fixed upon Jesus, uh, watching every move, you know, just intently, looking at Jesus, not taking his eyes off of Jesus. As long as Jesus was there, the impossible was possible. That's what they're learning. They're learning this, remember? But then he began to look around. And once he looked around, of course, he began to sink. And I I can't help but think, you know, just life application on this, I think of um, many of us start out this way when we start walking with Jesus. Um, it's all about Jesus. At least that's how it was for me. I, I, I was not impressed with uh, church or pastor or people. None of that stuff. I, I was not impressed by anyone. I was so impressed and so in love with Jesus. And I would say to my wife and others, I would say, I, I can't believe that I've, I've never seen Jesus as Jesus is presented in the scripture. If I would have seen this, I think I would have come to faith in Jesus a long time ago. Rather than the, you know, the TV or motion picture presentation of, of Jesus. I, I uh, you know, I grew up in a religious home, so we went to church all the time. I went to parochial school, so I went to church six days a week. It seems so funny to think... You, you go to church that often. Go to church six days a week. And I never met Jesus. Never once met Jesus. And there's a lot of people that fall in that category. Because that's what religion is. Religion wants to sell you religion. They don't care if you come to faith in Christ. They just want to sell you religion. Their brand of, of religion. And um, But once I placed my faith in Christ, it was all about Jesus. I hope that after all these years decades later many decades later that it's still all about jesus i want to follow jesus i want to hear from jesus i want to keep my eyes fixed on jesus and i think that most of us start out that way but i think most of us are aware of the fact that we all don't end up that way something happens for some Uh, they take their eyes off of jesus like peter They begin to look at their surroundings. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous or aggressive or violent, he was afraid and began to sink. 
And I think that we've watched this happen over the past two years. I, I want to um, shake some young people, not young people here, young people outside the church, because the young people have always had rebellion. So you have the rebels, you know. Listen, because young people haven't always wanted to go lockstep with everything that was being said or being believed or being taught or whatever, you know, it, it's been good. It's caused other people to think, to kind of rethink. You know, maybe we should rethink things a little bit. And I, I don't understand how we've, we've, we have a lost generation of young people, a lost generation of young people that believe whatever they're told, not when it comes to Bible. They don't believe Bible any longer. They don't believe Jesus any longer. But they believe everything else, you know, that falls under the category of, of science or social justice or whatever it might be. And there doesn't seem to be this rebellion, this pushback. There seems to be this compliance. Whatever whatever you think, you know, I, I, I don't care. Hasn't it been strange that for a week, for a solid week, people are debating whether Will Smith was right in slapping. Listen to me. A slap is humiliating. What a worm. For slapping, uh, what's his name, Chris Rock, you know. And I'll tell you, he took that thing like a punch, or like a like a punch, like a champ. <laughs> yes, that's the word, like a champ. I mean, you know, his hands are back there because he didn't expect it. But when he took that thing, he didn't go down. He just kind of went back, and he, I think, was very dignified in the way he handled the madness. But it's interesting that we have people debating this. Who's right? Who's wrong? Shouldn't have said this. Shouldn't have done that. That prompted it. And all these types of things. And it's so absolutely ridiculous. But this is the world in which we live in. Everyone has their own opinion. So few people are concerned about God's opinion, God's word, God's truth. We need to be careful. When we look around at the world in which we live, you know, I, I was... You know, driving on West Beach yesterday, heading home. Beautiful view, you know. You, you're kind of up over the hill there. You look down. You can see the Olympic mountain range out there, and you can see the water. You catch a ferry if you're in the right spot coming across, or a big barge, you know. And I was just thanking the Lord for the beauty of this place in which we live. I said, Lord, I feel like we're on we're in an oasis, you know. Here we are on Whidbey Island. And uh, the city that we used to love and the city that we used to, whenever visitors would come, we would always take them down to the city, to the Emerald City, to the beautiful city by the bay. Not San Francisco, but Seattle. And uh, some of you 80 folks are thinking of Journey. But... Um, but we would take them. I would never get off the freeway going on I-5 through Seattle today because you would be risking your own life. It is a garbage pit. And it's so sad that we've watched things decline. We could take our eyes off of the Lord and we begin to look at things and we say it's aggressive, it's violent. And we become afraid and we begin to sink. When we look at the things around us, we begin to sink into depression and despair. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and the truth of his word, we begin to lose perspective. This is what happens. This happens to God's people. 
we begin to lose perspective and down we go. Down we go. I'm thankful that life is ever changing though. I'm so glad that life is not stagnant, you know, it doesn't just remain the same. I'm glad that there are seasons in life. Aren't you thankful for the seasons of blessings? The season of blessing when it seems like everything is going right. Those are always enjoyable. No one has a complaint about that. You know, oh Lord, please stop blessing. You know, too much, too much. I uncle, you know. We don't do that. But I'll tell you, if you've lived for any amount of time and you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you are aware of the fact that there are also life storms when everything seems hard. And it's when the life storms hit, when we find ourselves in the life storms, is when we begin to question. So what season are you in? I'll tell you, whatever season you're in, listen, this is so crucial. This is so important. You cannot wait until things get bad to say, I think I'm going to get serious about Jesus. You know, the world mocks and they use that, uh, you know, what do they call it? The Jesus moment, you know, a, a come to Jesus moment. You know, the word, world kind of mocks at that. But they only mock at that because that's what it appears to be. When things are good, Jesus is rarely on my lips for many when things are bad, oh, Jesus, where are you? Say, it's, his name is ever present on our lips. I'll tell you, whatever season you find yourself in, the season of blessings or the season of storms, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. And if they're not on Jesus, you need to get your eyes back on Jesus. Let me read one verse to you here. I could read you so many verses that would fit perfectly for what I'm saying. But Isaiah 26 and verse 3, it says, You, speaking of the Lord, you will keep him or her in perfect peace, listen, whose mind is stayed on you because he or she trusts in you. That word stayed, it means to lean upon, to take hold of. To lean upon, to take hold of. We need to lean upon, we need to take hold of the Lord and who he is in the good times so that when the bad times come, we're ready. We're ready. So back to Peter. Peter, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out. Come on out, Peter. The water's great, you know. And and he walks out there and, I, uh, you know, he, he walks for a little bit. We don't know how long he was walking. He's on his way to Jesus. He begins to look around and he begins to sink. And so Jesus steps in because Peter asked him to step in. He said, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And so Jesus reaches out. He grabs hold of Peter. So we're seeing a number of supernatural things happening here, you know. Either that or Jesus was super strong. Because he takes hold of Peter and he lifts him up and keeps him from sinking. And they both get into the boat. And then, of course, calmness comes over the sea, and the 12, they begin to worship Jesus because they're learning who Jesus is. So life application from all of this is this. When you're in trouble, call out to Jesus and he will immediately rescue you. I don't think that's the life application here. 
Now, now listen, this is very important, because if you're not a believer, the Bible is very clear, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a quote from Old Testament prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, and it is a promise, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, if you call upon his name, if you're not saved, you need to do that. You need to do that. But I do not believe that that's the application of our text. I believe that there are many pastors and there are many churches that would say, no, that's the application. I would, I would not doubt for a moment because I watch some of these folks. I don't watch very much of them. You know, it's kind of depressing. You talk about sinking into despair and depression. Watching some of the Bible teaching, so-called Bible teaching from churches is depressing to me. Because it's a lie. The lie is this. If you believe in the Lord, if you have faith, the faith of a mustard seed, you'll never go through any hardships. You'll never go through difficulties. You'll never lack. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll live in the biggest house. You'll drive the best car. God blesses. Give to God and he'll give back to you. It's a spiritual principle after all. He has to He has to yield to his spiritual principles. And we have this strange, strange thing happening in churches where people, because they're malnourished, biblically speaking, they don't even know how to discern what's happening before their very eyes. These pastors, be it men or women, they stand before the people and they give themselves as as an example. Look at me. I'm a faithful man of God. I'm a faithful woman of God. Look at me. I drive the best cars. I live in the best homes. I I have a private jet or two or three. Look at me. I'm an example. And the malnourished, spiritually speaking, people in the churches are watching on television, sending their money, don't realize that this is nothing more than a pyramid scheme. And the person who's saying, look at me, I'm the example, they're at the top of the pyramid. And it's not the blessing of God that brought them to the top of the pyramid because Jesus gives us a different economy. The least shall be the greatest. The last, you see what I'm saying? I mean, read your Bible. He turns everything upside down. But see, this is what the world likes. Prosperity, doctrine. Why is it so popular? Because people are so greedy, even People who profess to be Christians, they're greedy. I want more, I want more, I want more. They're not thinking of heaven. They're the ones who criticize men like me, people like us who believe that Jesus can come back at any time. Oh, we don't believe that. Oh, that's a waste of time. Oh, don't believe such things. Because their kingdom, their hope is in this earth and what they possess on this earth. That's why. I want to show you something, and maybe you've seen this. You're, you're probably more keen than I am. I, I'll be honest, I did not see this until yesterday. I saw this yesterday morning. I've taught from this text and, and you know other, the other three texts on this particular account many, many, many times, and I totally, totally missed what I'm going to share with you. And I think... It is so profound 
And I think this is the life application from the text. Would you look at, you're there back in Mark's gospel. Look at verse 47. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. So the middle of the sea would be three to four miles out. So where's Jim? Jim did the calculation. So from here to Pencove, the other side of Pencove is how many? Five miles, okay, about five miles. So, you know, I I could see, like, my eyesight's not the best, of course. No, it's really bad. But um, I could see beyond the spit, and I could see the white water. But I'll tell you, if there was a small boat out there, I would be hard-pressed to see it. So, again, Jesus is able to see it. So this tells us something. Again, he's not just a mere man. He's able to see these things. And so, again, reading, look what it says. Now, when evening had evening came... Uh, the boat, verse 47, now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed by them. So I want you to follow this. Israel doesn't have daylight savings time, I don't think. I know they didn't have it back in biblical times. And you could look this up for yourself. You all have phones. Please don't do it now, though. Um, evening would be 6 o'clock, around 6 o'clock. So the sun is setting. It's evening. So Jesus sees them at 6 o'clock in the evening. What does he see? They're, they're straining at rowing because the, the wind is, is contrary to them. So he sees them. Now, I don't know if he was still on the mountain. I don't know if he came down from the mountain. I don't think it matters much. Maybe he came down to the mountain. He's standing on the seashore, and he's looking out there, and he's seeing them. It's 6 o'clock in the evening, and they're straining. But Jesus doesn't come to them until about the 4th hour you say well what's the fourth hour the fourth hour is anywhere between three and six p.m so i want you to think about this this is really important i think he sees them but he doesn't come to them until much later I was telling the first service, when I, when I read this, and I was just kind of pondering, I was just sitting in our living room, I was just kind of thinking about this thing, a verse just kind of popped into my mind, and the verse was this, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, Psalm 30, verse 5, the second part of that verse. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Seth, one of the brothers here, came up to me, between services, and he said, you know, I was looking at it. I said, I, I get so much information from you Bible students, and I appreciate it. And he came up and he says, you know, Dan, the word comes there, in the, it's in italics, so it, and so he's kind of sharing something. And I, so I'm listening to him, and I'm thinking, weeping may endure for a night, but joy in the morning. Hmm. Well, that was true for them. That was true for them. Weeping. Do you think they were weeping? Guys, I don't, I don't want us to miss this. Jesus saw that they were in trouble, and he waited for 9 to 12 hours to come out to them. 
I mean, was this an urgent thing? I mean, this was, they're, they're, they're struggling. It wasn't like, you know, that was a rough 30 minutes. Man, I didn't think we were going to make it, but I'm glad that the waves and the wind, no, 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 no. They're, they're fighting this all night long. And when he finally appears, when he finally comes out to them, from their perspective, verse 20, uh, 48, they thought he would pass them by. Now, I want you to think about this. Just a... <laughs> what is that? I think it's a ghost. Jesus is going to calm down. It's me. Be at peace, you know. What are you doing out here? What's going on? Guys, Jesus did not... See, this is this is the thing. This is what we want to think. And I'm, I want us to think biblically. And you cannot think biblically unless you're in the word of God. Because, see, this is the mindset of most people that it's all about us. I'm yours. Help! And he pulls off his cloak. And <laughs> his cape is blowing in the wind. And you can see the big S. Do you guys remember uh, Godspell, you know? You see the big S, and he flies down to rescue his own in a moment's time. Is that reality? It's not reality. Was it a reality for... Peter, well, yes, I mean, Peter was going down. Jesus was right there. He reached up, he grabbed him, and he pulled him. But I'll tell you, they were out there all night long. They continued to strain at rowing. They had to spend the entire night wrestling with the oars, and they were also wrestling with something else all night long. And for some of you, and I, pardon me, for those who are so spiritually minded that this would never come into your mind. This is for the less spiritual, the illustration that I'm going to give. So this is my spiritual uh, illustration. But they were wrestling with their thoughts. What thoughts? Thoughts like, what are we doing out here? Thoughts like, why was Jesus in such a hurry to send us so out? Why can't we wait till morning? What's up with that? Thoughts like, why isn't he here with us? He's always with us, and we're always with him. I mean, he's our teacher. Aren't we supposed to be together? Where's he at? Or how about this? Does he even care? Does he even care? Have you ever asked that question? I've asked that question many times. You know, I know I'm in good company because I I know the scriptures. I, I think of I think of Hannah. I think of Hannah. She loves her husband. Her husband loves her. There's a problem. She's barren. Seems to be a biblical problem, doesn't it? I mean, it's like whenever God's going to do something great, it seems like there's always a barren woman. So, it lo- I mean, also, it looks like it's impossible. Throw in the towel. And she's in misery because her husband, though he loved her, and I know it's hard for us to understand this, he took another wife so that he might have an heir, a male child. 
an heir. And all Hannah wanted was a son. And, and I, you know, you read and you see Hannah, you just picture this lovely woman who just, you know, she petitions the Lord and she's there at the tabernacle and she's praying. And, and even her prayers are misunderstood as her being drunk. Oh, go home and drink your wine. I'm not drunk as you suppose. I'm in sorrow. I'm, I'm crying out to the Lord. I think, of, I think of Ruth. Remember Ruth? She was a Moabite. Wasn't part of the covenant people. The only reason she became a part of the covenant people, and by the way, in David's line, which means in Jesus' line, is because she happened to marry a man whose family had moved to Moab because there was a famine in Israel, in Judah. And so the family moved to Moab because there was bread there. And while they're there, you know, the boys grow older and they take wives of Moabite women. And then all the men die. Naomi's husband dies and Ruth, you know, I mean, you know the story. And, and here they are, they're all widows and and Naomi, she hears that the Lord is, is blessing the people in Israel again, and, and there's bread in Israel. And so she says, I have nothing here. I'm going to go back home. And, and we have this beautiful story. You know, I use it for weddings, but it doesn't apply. I mean, it's really the biblical application is not a marriage, but it was Ruth to her mother-in-law. Where you go, I will go. You know, where you die, I will die. Your people shall be my people. You know, the other daughter-in-law, she stayed with her people. No fault to her. But, but you see these two women, they go. And, and you could, as you read the short little book of Ruth, you could almost anticipate, you could feel the anxiety in these women. Ruth, of course, she's a foreigner. She doesn't know how things are going to go down. But Naomi's concerned. We left when things were bad. Now we're coming back when things are better. How are they going to accept us? There was, there was fear. And then, of course, as the story goes on, we see Boaz, one of my grandson's namesake, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Who's he? He's a picture of Jesus. And Ruth is a picture of us. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. I think of David. David. Did David ever ask questions of the Lord? Have you ever read the Psalms? That's what I love about That's why we all love David. We love David, not because he was a giant killer, not because he was a king, not because he was a worshiper. I mean, all those things are like icing on the top. But we love David because of the psalms he wrote. Because when we read David's psalms, we feel like, depending upon where we're at, what we're going through, we feel like, I think I could have written this psalm. I identify with this psalm so much. As David would question and he would ask and he would probe. And he'd wonder, Lord, are you there? Do you care? The sons of Korah, we know they wrote psalms as well. Listen to this one. It's Psalm 42. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones. Have you ever been in such emotional pain that it feels I mean, it's almost like you, it's like my bones are being broken. 
It's so hard. It's so difficult. I feel like my limbs are being snapped. That's what they're describing. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Did they say that to Jesus when he hung upon the cross? He did. They did. The psalm goes on. I love it because, you know, um, there's a song we do from this. And I love it because it's like the psalmist is asking a question of himself. You know, it's not crazy to talk to yourself when you're going through the scriptures. You might not want to do it on the street, but when you're, when, you're, when you're talking to the scripture, you know, David said in Psalm 1 that he meditates upon the law day and night. That word meditates, it means, the Hebrew means to talk to oneself about. That's what it means. But the psalmist said, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And then he encourages himself. Hope in God. Hope in God. You guys know it, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So how does that work? Is it because the word of God is magic? No. (laughs) The word of God is not magic. So you guys, again, please, we need to think biblically. There are so many people, they don't even know how to think biblically because they listen to these nuts on you know these joy Myers and Joyce Myers and these people oh, I said it I said a name I could say a whole lot of names don't listen to them don't listen to them they, they it is so self-seeking it is so unbiblical the things they're teaching they mix a little bit of truth in with a whole lot of arsenic and people are being poisoned by their doctrines of demons and they don't even know it because they don't know the word of God Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, not because the word of God is magic, but because in the word of God, we see people wrestling with God and his word and his promises, and then we see the faithfulness of God. This is how faith comes. See, I I mentioned, you know, usually I'm mentioning the men. I mentioned Hannah, I mentioned Ruth, you know, and we we have some, you know, examples men and women throughout the scriptures and we see them and we see people struggling with things emotionally struggling with things physically struggling with things their limitations struggling with things you know and yet we see God coming through God teaching them lessons Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's because the word of God, in the word of God, we see people like us wrestling with their doubts and their emotions. It's because in the word of God, we see people like us getting perspective from the Lord. It's because in the word of God, we see people like us realizing that the Lord is never late. He's always on time, but his timing is not our timing. Listen to me, young people, older people, especially young people, you need to be people of the word. I talked to someone just recently, been involved in ministry, done this, did that, all these things, but he honestly admitted, 
but I need to have faith. I need to have true faith. I need to have true faith. I need to have true faith. And I said, yes, how does faith come? I said, faith doesn't come from experiences. Faith doesn't come from, you know, doing ministry. Faith comes from the word of God. Reading the word of God, applying the word of God, believing the word of God. That's how faith comes. Guys, again, this is what's so horrible about many modern-day Christians is they act as if everything began and ends with them. And it doesn't. I don't want to offend anybody, but, you know, God's program continues on whether we're involved in it or not. It didn't begin with us. It's not going to end when we die, you know. I remember listening to Chuck Swindoll, and he was talking to pastors. And, you know, I, I appreciated the illustration. He made a point. It was a good point. He said to pastors, he says, listen, you know the impression, this is the impression you want to leave upon the church that you're pastoring when you're gone. This is the impression you want to leave. He says, I want you to get a bucket of water. I want you to, or get a bucket, fill it up with water. I want you to make a fist. I want you to take your fist. I want you to plunge it into that bucket of water and pull it out quickly. And the void that it leaves should be the void that you leave when you're gone. I liked it. BSC is not about me. It's not about us. As long as we're true to the word of God, this just keeps, this just continues we're just simply continuing what, <laughs> what believers, you know, 2,000 years ago, the birth of the church, what they were doing, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship and prayer. We're just repeating that. We're just continuing this pattern. You say, what's your point? My point is this, guys. Listen. The Lord is teaching us things. He wants to teach us. And I'll tell you, if, you know, uh, it's hard, and it's a poor illustration, but it's hard to be a parent to watch your children make poor decisions and then reap the consequences of their poor decisions. But I'm telling you, you are not doing them any good if you are constantly rescuing them before they could reap the consequences of their bad decisions. Because part of the reaping, part of the going through the difficulties and the hardship, the Lord is working. So often, I think, as parents, we put ourselves into a position where it's almost as if we think we know more than God knows. Now, we'd never say that because it's outlandish. But we have to, well, I, I need to do something. I need to rescue. I need to do this. I need to do that. Rather than saying, Lord, I don't know what's happening. It seems like things are falling apart. It seems like, you know, I, I'm there. I'm, I'm here to help, obviously. But, Lord, I'm trusting that you are working, that you are bringing an end or a new beginning to something. And I'll tell you, there's never been once that I could take credit for something difficult that my children have gone through and then come out the other side, better men and women, there's not one thing I could take credit for and say, it's because we're such great parents. No, I say, God is so good. God is so faithful. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying, listen, if, 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 if your little girl wants to put her hand on the burner, you know, don't let her do that, you know, obviously. But, but I'm talking about as we get older, sometimes we go through difficulties. The Lord does it with us. If the Lord came in every time and rescued us every time, we would not grow in our faith. We would not grow. And the sad fact of the matter is, is that there are many people who profess to be Christians and they never seem to call upon the name of the Lord until things are really bad. They're not prepared for the potential, you know, the bad things that might come their way because they're not faithful to him in the good times. They're not trusting him in the good times. Thank you, Lord, for providing this job. Thank you, Lord, for my paycheck. Why am I thanking him? I do the work. Whatever. Whatever. I know there's people like that. It's me. Pulled myself up by my bootstraps. No. In all things, acknowledge him. Thank you, Lord, for this baby. What did he have to do with it? He wove this child in his mother's womb. Thank you for this child, Lord. Perfect to me. Thank you, Lord, for my health. Thank you, Lord, that my, you know, I was talking to a sister between services. She said, I wanted to sit up in the sanctuary today, but my back wouldn't allow me. And I said, I hear you, you know. Thank you, Lord, that I got out of bed today. Thank you, Lord, that I was able to come to church today and stand in the back and listen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you don't race in and, you know, pull me out of the trouble that I find myself in. Thank you, Lord, that you're teaching me, you're training me. I know that when Jesus is not in focus in my own life, problems become bigger and solutions become smaller, always. And I know that when Jesus is not unfocused in my own personal life, I begin to wrestle with those old questions that I've wrestled with many times in my past. I remember when I first got saved, I wasn't ever exposed to prosperity teaching, but it's just there because we're human beings. And I got sick, and I had a, I had a problem. I couldn't go to church. And, I was, and Tracy went to church, and I was at home, and because I was at home, I was kind of boo-hooing, you know. And I remember uh, laying there. It was uh, During the summer, it was hot in Grass Valley. And we had like this Anaga hide couch that w- you'd sweat. And you'd, you'd just kind of stick to it, you know, and get up in the couches on your back. <laughs> but, and I'm just crying out to the Lord. And it's like, you know, Lord, why? Why do I have this thing? Why couldn't I go to church? And it's like the Lord just kind of, Spoke to my heart. Have you had this problem before? Well, yes. Well, you have it again. Yeah. You'll probably have it many times after this. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think? Now you're exempt. You know what it was? It was poison oak. I was walking around here. I'm so glad we don't have poison oak on Whidbey Island. We don't have all the things that I used to fear when we were tromping on rattlesnakes and stuff like that. I mean, we could just, you know, our kids are just, you know, like during the thousand-year reign here on Whidbey Island. But anyway, um, but it's funny how we begin to think that I shouldn't be going through trials now. I shouldn't be going through difficulties now. We forget what the Word of God says. 
Think it not a strange thing when you go through fiery trials? Oh, this is part of the plan. This is part of the design so that it might develop patience and, and, and build your faith because I'm teaching you to trust me in these difficult times. We need to fix our attention on Jesus because when we fix our attention on the circumstances around us, we will begin to sink emotionally and spiritually. And we need to be careful that we don't give in to feelings, but rather walk by faith and, 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 and not by, again, what we're feeling in the moment. When we're, not, when we're walking by faith, everything seems possible. And the longer you walk with the Lord and you see his faithfulness, I'll tell you, things rarely work out the way I thought they would work out. Would you say that too, Trace? That things work out and you say, I didn't think it would. This is better. Lord, this is much better than we ever thought. Lord, oh, forgive us for our instruction prayers, you know. You ever give instruction prayers? And then do this. And then go over there. Take five steps back. (laughs) I want to tell the Lord everything to do rather than just say, Lord, your will be done. Are you sinking? Are you tired of sinking? You don't have to you don't have to sink. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Put your hope in him. Don't be surprised if you're not rescued out of your trouble right away. Recognize that this is by design because he's maturing us. He's developing us into men and women he wants us to be. John tells us and worship team come on up. John tells us that when Jesus got into the boat that the boat and the disciples and Jesus were transported to the land of destination. Did you guys read that? So they're there to the land. And when I read that, I thought, you know what, Lord? Regardless of the storms we go through, because we're going to go through storms, they're going to be health storms. They're going to be financial storms. They're going to be, I mean, they're going to be all sorts of storms, you know, that we're going to go through. But, um, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we keep our eyes on Jesus, he's going to get us to our prepared destination. Do you know what I mean by that? I've gone to prepare a place for you. And I'll tell you, when we're home with him, all the stuff that we deal with here in this life will <laughs> will not exist. You will wipe away every tear. Why, why do we expect him to do that now? I don't want to cry now. I don't want to be depressed now. I don't want to have hardships now. I don't want to go through difficulties now. None of us do. None of us do. None of us want to go through difficult times. If I knew a difficult time was coming and I could outrun it, I would try to outrun it. You know, I mean, that's just the reality. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know how many times I've said, or Tracy has said to me, over the, you know, 44 years that we've walked with Jesus together as a married couple, that we would say things like, that was a hard season. Yeah, that was a hard season. I didn't think we were going to make it. No, I didn't think we were going to make it. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. The blessings and the benefits that came out of that 
far outweigh any struggles or difficulties or hardships or fears. Because, see, that's the thing about that. You know how you physically you hurt yourself, and in time you forget how painful it was? I mean, you can say, oh, that was painful. But you don't remember every detail how painful that is. Emotionally, it's kind of like that, too. You have season where it's weeping. Where are you, God? Why aren't you working? Why aren't you rescuing? Where are you? Where are you? And then when he comes and he brings resolution, we forget the emotional pain. We just do. We just, it was bad. Yes, it was bad. Could you give any details? No, it was, just, it was just bad. I wouldn't want to do that again, but it was good at the same time. Some of you, do you guys understand what I'm saying? I hope you do. Would you stand with me? Father, we pray that we would not think it a strange thing when we fall into various trials. We pray, Father, that we would grow in our faith. We pray that we'd be men and women of your word. I pray especially for those who attend here. And every time I mention a name or or give an illustration, they cringe and they say, oh, I hate it when he does that. I pray, Lord, that they would just void my voice out of their ears and that they might hear your words, Lord, that they might listen to what you have to say, but that they would hear it and that we wouldn't create a Jesus of our own imagination, that we wouldn't create a Christianity of our own liking, but that we would be submitted to who you are, to what you say, to what you teach, to how you illustrate it, that our hope would not be here now, but that we would be people looking forward to going home where our true citizenship is. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.